Hallo, mijn naam is Steven en ik ben een eer. Ik ben Nederlands aan het spreken en jullie luisteren naar The Fluent Show. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. My name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and on this show we talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. It's scary, but we can do it. Every other week on The Fluent Show, I put aside half an hour or so to answer your questions. To have your own question answered on this show, you can email it to me at kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. I guess I'll take questions on anything really, but if it's related to language learning, that probably helps the other listeners to the show. <laughs> and don't forget, you can also have your own voice heard on our show by sending in an audio file containing your intro message, just like you just heard at the start of the show. Today's message came from Stephen. Danke, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Today on the show... I have got a, a bag of tips. I got a very involved question all about helping you boost your language confidence and power through those terrible mental blocks when you get stuck. Listener Simon from Dublin wrote me a great email full of examples of his own mental blocks. So we're going to dive into that and we're going to get through those in just a minute. Listeners, this is a big question and let me tell you, I wrote several pages of notes. So you're going to hear some rustling of paper <laughs> as we work our way through this. But first, let's take a minute to thank the Fluent Show's sponsor, Clothesmaster. You guys love Clothesmaster. I'm getting regular feedback telling me that this is one of the coolest sponsors that we've ever had on the show and I'm so excited about it. I feel like this is the new app to have on your phone, no matter who you are or what language you're learning. And that is because learning with Clothesmaster is, as we know, fun, addictive and free. The game is simple. You will see a sentence in your target language with something missing. And it could be a letter or it could be a whole word. And it's your challenge to fill in the blanks correctly. Clothesmaster uses high frequency word lists built into sentences from real life so everything you learn is natural content and it's always words that you're actually going to need. Best of all, Clothesmaster is available in over 50 languages and it works on iPhones and iPads and Android and directly in your browser. To support the Fluent Show today, go to clothesmaster.com, that is close with a Z, so C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash Fluent Show, where you will find a bonus video with Clothesmaster tips from me, guided tour, and a special voucher to use when you try out Clothesmaster's awesome pro membership. Today I looked at the pro stats and they are actually incredibly motivating. It even projects how much you're going to learn if you keep going at the rate that you are going. Wow. So that's clothesmaster.com slash fluent show. You don't need a special code. Simply go to clothesmaster.com slash fluent show to learn more today. Thank you, Clothesmaster. And here is Simon's question. It's quite a long one. So 
Bear with Simon and bear with me. It's a really good question. I've split it into two parts. Let's talk about part one. Hi, Kirsten. I have a question that you might consider as a topic for a future episode if you haven't already covered it. How can we tackle persistent mental blocks in a language? By that I mean sometimes I just cannot seem to lock down a concept in the language I'm learning, no matter how much I try. These mental blocks can be demotivating. They force me to use simpler sentences than I know I can produce. They make me feel uncertain when trying to express certain concepts and they cause frustration when they seem like they're always going to be stopping my progress. Sometimes these blocks are the reason a person thinks they're not good at learning languages. Have you come across any techniques that can help to identify, correct and permanently eliminate the persistent mental blocks so that I can increase my confidence in language learning that I think has taken a hit? Thanks so much, Simon, Dublin, Ireland. Right. First of all, Simon, thank you so much for writing me this email and I will get into the individual questions all in just a minute. But first I wanted to address the general feeling of frustration and this sense of the mental blocks that you're describing. So let's rustle the paper. One thing I really noticed and that you're actually describing in your, in your email to me is that your confidence is low and I can tell the annoying truth of coming out of the books and courses and actually speaking your target language can be this. You end up speaking to real people with brains that somehow didn't learn quite what you were learning in the books. And also your brain that worked so well in this controlled kind of safe environment of vocab drills and grammar tables just somehow isn't keeping up. Everything's so fast and so quick to correct you. And it can feel really like a letdown. It can feel impossible to keep up. What helps here is not necessarily to develop this sort of perfect skill of never making a mistake. And when we when we go through all e each of the situations that you described, you're going to hear how how much how much you know you guys listeners are going to hear how much frustrates Simon and it's true these are all incredibly frustrating situations but there's about six or seven examples here we can't fix all of them so here's what really helps it's to develop a higher tolerance for frustration and for embarrassment your questions show me this a really high level of frustration and every language learner goes through this and it's a fairly long stage in language learning. Expect to be frustrated for a good few years to come. <laughs> in fact, just expect to be frustrated 90% of forever from now on. However, frustration does have a few good sides. It's not all bad. Number one, it's a sign that you care. It pushes you to recommit. So just like you say, these mental blocks can be the reason a person thinks they're not good at learning languages. So this is a real test of, of will, a test of confidence at this point. And what, you, what you've got to kind of develop is a sense of recommitment to think, okay, yeah, I can't, I just can't work these, 
these grammar endings out. I just can't get my head around it. My God, this is so frustrating. Or people keep correcting me. There must be something wrong with what I'm doing. And at this point, you know, at this point where the person thinks they're not good at learning languages, and maybe you mean yourself thinking, oh, maybe I'm just not good at learning languages. You've got to say, do you know what? I don't care. I don't care if I'm good or not because I'm here and I'm doing the thing. And this this is a real decision to make. And this is where frustration pushes you to make that decision to keep going. And it actually helps you so, so much further. And secondly, frustration is a sign of growth. So I'm going to get into that in a minute as well. Third thing I observed about frustration as I was reading about this, because I really did some research to try and give you decent advice. <laughs> so is that it feels like you're not just doing things that annoy you. You're not just doing worse than you expected. One of the big factors of being frustrated in language learning is that you feel like you're doing worse than everybody else. The native speakers, perhaps the other learners online, perhaps the people who aren't making the mistakes that you are making. And this is this can be poisonous when you feel so, so apart from everybody else and you feel like you almost are the problem, you know, because nobody else has got a problem in this. That can be that can be extremely poisonous. And then I will go with my. My good friend Brenda's advice, which is, was actually business advice, because this can happen to you in business sometimes, or in, in podcasting, to be fair. Like you, it can feel like no one's listening. It can feel like no one's paying attention in, in every aspect of our life. It can feel like we're just, we just suck, and that's why. And the advice she gave me was to say, put your eyes on your own paper. Focus on your own progress. And Simon, I feel this is this is mostly what you're doing, but there's that slight sense of, well, people keep correcting me. People are better than me. How am I ever going to get to their level? Don't matter. It doesn't matter. We want to get you to your perfect, good, ideal level. So there's two things that you can do with frustration. And we want to do them both. We want to reduce... And we want to embrace frustration. You want to reduce frustration so that your motivation stays high and you don't give up. But you're not going to eliminate it. And I mean, you, you asked me for tips to identify, correct and permanently eliminate the issues that you're having. And I would say we can reduce them. But we, I'm not entirely sure you can eliminate them. Maybe somebody else can promise you that. I can't. So step two is not reduce and eliminate, but step two. So step one, reduce. Step two is embrace. Embrace frustration. Embrace your mental blocks. So you can continue to grow and to make progress. Let me start by talking through reducing. So how can we do this? You can reduce frustration, number one, by changing your outlook. So these mental blocks, they're not actually hindering your progress. They are your progress. They are a sign that you're growing, that you're progressing, that you're really going somewhere because you're coming up against limits in your language learning. You're coming up against new limits and the the trick here to feel better about yourself and to, to build your confidence in language learning, 
which like you say, it's taken a hit and I don't want that for you, is to look back and see how far you've come. Because that almost every single time when you think about the exercises that you were working on, the stuff you were memorizing three, maybe six months ago, there's just no comparison. You're probably so much better now. And you got to celebrate that. You, you are where you are right now is fantastic. That's something I say a lot to my to my coaching clients. Where you are right now is fantastic and this is what you're working with. You're not working with anything else. So try and change your outlook. Number two, deal with a few of the practical challenges and the important aspect about that one is that you have to deal with them one by one. Yes, you might be frustrated about your pronunciation, your vocab and the way that you don't understand anything in your favorite TV show. All three of these may apply, but you want to deal with them one by one. And again, you deal with them until you get to the point where you feel, okay, I can move on. Not where they are completely eliminated, because that would be like, I don't know, it would be like trying to find every seashell on the beach. You'd be there forever. You'd be there forever. And at some point, it just doesn't pay all the it doesn't pay the same rewards anymore. We're thinking 80-20 rule, right? 80-20, the Pareto principle, where 20% of the effort can bring 80% of the results. But sometimes doing 80% of the effort only gets you 20% of the results. And that's that's what you're looking at here. So we want to deal with the practical challenges, but do it one by one. And number three, this is an important step to reducing frustration, and that is cut out comparison. If you have any of that in your head, examine the source of your own expectations. Why do you think you should be there when you're actually here? Why do you think you should be there? And then don't don't say, why am I not there? Say, how can I get there? Right? We're always looking forward and the word how is, is extremely useful because, because what, you, what it helps you understand is no matter where you want to go and where you are not, and where you feel like you suck. <laughs> you're, you're not there yet. And the question is not, oh, um, maybe I'm not good at learning languages. The, the, the way to think is, how can I get better? So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this podcast episode helps you with a few hows. Be careful here, because as you are ex- eliminating the practical challenges, working harder does not necessarily mean more results. So again, we're back to 80-20. You want to do the things that are really impactful and you want to learn to let a few things go because they are in that space of 80% of the work giving you only 20% of the results, which is no good. Now let's talk about embracing frustration. Why? How? Oh my God, what? (laughs) Embracing frustration is hard. Embracing that feeling of discomfort is hard. But there's a reason a comfort zone is called a comfort zone. Frustration can be a beneficial force. We've already talked about its impact on motivation and recommitment. And once you've done that recommitment, which I think, you know, if you're writing, you're writing me such a, such a good, informed, thorough email, I think that means... You know, you, you're ready. 
<laughs> so you're ready and you are recommitting just as you're writing. This is so wonderful. So your frustrations are now just a guide to reassessing what really matters. On every one of these frustrations, and we'll go, for, we'll go through them in a second, reassess, does this really matter? To what extent does this matter? And does it, does it hinder me so much? Not every mental block is a bad sign. Altogether, they indicate that you are, they indicate that you're out of your comfort zone. Once you're out of your comfort zone, this is a, a sort of educational psychological theory of the zone of pro proximal development. You can get, you can go to the next zone, which is called zone of proximal development. And that is where a learner can achieve the, their goals, but not necessarily without guidance. So you get your comfort zone, which is where you can achieve all your goals and you can do it by yourself and ain't no problem. And then you're in your zone of proximal development. So that's proximal, like next to, right? So you're taking the next steps out. And that's where you can achieve something with just a little bit of guidance. For example, a native speaker correcting you every now and then. Or for example, noticing, oh man, you know, this isn't, this isn't quite <laughs> getting it right. So that is the zone of proximal development, which is actually where the ideal learning conditions exist. You know what happens after that zone when you, your challenge is, is higher than that? It's sometimes called a panic zone. <laughs> and maybe in your email, I'm detecting a little bit of panic zone. And we do not want that. The zone of proximal development is, is really helpful to think about setting goals and not, not pushing yourself too much into the panic zone. So this whole setting goals, tracking what you're actually doing and reviewing your goals, that process is gold when you're teaching yourself a language is so so helpful and actually I took it into account when I made the language habit toolkit where we where I guide you through this process of setting goals that should be set sensibly sensibly and achievably with that hint of a challenge but not with going going all out because going all out is is nice on paper But it's panic zone or if you're thinking like an athlete, for example, that's injury zone. You don't want that. You need, you need to go at a pace that is reasonable. So set yourself a reasonable goal. And the other way to embrace frustration is to set yourself a relevant goal. So you want to think about where you actually are in language learning and where you want to head to. And then set yourself a relevant goal to that area. So... For example, there is no point in setting yourself a goal that is related to a lot of social interaction if you're actually looking for a job in your target language because you won't need that much social interaction. You won't need that much casual language. What you've got to work on might be different. Or it could be that you, you know, if your grammar is what particularly bothers you, then I would not necessarily set a big conversational goal because writing is, is better grammar practice. So, do you want to speak with perfect grammar or do you want to be understood and just connect with people? Think about those goals and then think about each mental block. You've listed them so well in your email and we're going through them now. And examine how relevant it is to your goal. Ah, welcome listeners to 
part two of this podcast then. So in his email, as I mentioned, Simon didn't just send me this generic question about mental blocks. He actually included lots of examples, which was so helpful to me. And in this part of the show, I'm quickly going to dive into each one and share a few strategies on how you can get ahead and apply specific learning techniques to the issues you're facing. For each of these following issues, I want to remind you, ask yourself, does this really matter? That's where you start, because if you don't, you fall into a trap called perfectionism. You start, your confidence drops, you feel this massive sense of frustration and you're actually, you're so much more likely to give up. And then we never, never, never want that. Rule one is don't give up. <laughs> I sound like a wrestling coach or something. So if you decide that it does matter, then the following tips may help. I'm going to read you Simon's question and give you a little bit of an answer. So Simon mentioned the following. Number one, some mental blocks can be fundamental grammatical rules. It could be that I am always guessing at the endings for masculine, instrumental, plural nouns, for example... Maybe because of the many exceptions in the language or just that I've drilled them countless times and it just won't stick in my head. So, Simon, this is a cognitive issue in terms of how fast your brain can whip out the rules and drills that you say you have memorized and, you know, drilled countless times and then suddenly apply them to a whole new situation. You're, you're bored of me saying this by now, but it is fairly normal, luckily, yay, to find it difficult and to have things drop out of your mind. And funnily enough, learning naturally, how, like for example how kids learn, or also how an immigrant with not a lot of basic knowledge and not a lot of grammar instruction learns, it actually involves recognizing a rule, for example the way um, the German past tense is often, uh, or the German participle in the past tense often has en at the end, so you've got, you know, gegangen, geschrieben, and then applying it, and you'll apply it even wrongly. So you might apply it completely. You won't say, or you might say, gesehen instead of gewesen, because that is a logical way of doing it, right? So you apply it wrongly, even to the irregular verbs. And then over time, as you get corrected again and again, which I've seen this with kids, you start to fix the irregular ones. So you're actually on nature's orders in the way that you are processing and when you say you're guessing at the endings of your instrumental plural nouns guessing is good it means you know the rule and it means you're ready to apply it if you want to if you want to get it right every single time i still think that is that is your enemy that is perfectionism and that includes assuming that you can only be good at another language when you get every inflection declension and conjugation moment perfect that's not what we're aiming for here. You're aiming for higher levels of comprehension. You're aiming for being understood. You're aiming for a better way of expressing yourself. However, if these fundamental grammatical issues... I mean, by the way, are you learning Russian? Are you learning German? <laughs> I hear this a lot in those two languages. If these grammatical concepts really frustrate the heck out of you and you've already tried drilling verbs, what you can do is drill example sentences. So think, okay, in English, if I want to say, I thought I'd forgotten my keys, do that one. 
as quickly as possible several times and then make it into, I thought I'd forgotten to mention my keys. I thought I'd forgotten to mention that I've forgotten my keys. Make it more complex, you know, build on it, but don't drill just the, the verb form. Now, still, I think in terms of endings, if the ending is just a letter or something, for, as a native speaker of a language that has all these endings everywhere, I can tell you, I don't know anybody who's a native speaker in a conversation who actually cares if you get them all wrong. We, we understand. We, we do. So I hope that helps with the grammatical rules. Moving on to your next questions, next mental blocks. These are about vocab. You say, or the block can be with confusable words. Like, I can't quite remember the difference between words or and I mix up cheap and easy, which can sometimes cause embarrassment. Or it can be vocab issues such as, I feel that I know the word for broken, but invariably choose to say broken in another language and someone always ends up telling me that it's not the right word. So, CBT moment here. Cognitive behavioral therapy, <laughs> yes, therapy, um, has a really good technique, which is assessing whether the statement that you have in your head, so you've got this emotion, you've got this feeling, frustration, whether this feeling that you have, the um, statement that you have in your head is actually correct. So what we would do here is when you say someone always ends up telling me that's not the right word, this always happens, you would want to put that thought on trial and assess arguments for and against it. So you may want to say, okay, so what is the evidence that someone always ends up telling me? Evidence pro is this person corrected me, this person corrected me, this person corrected me. Evidence against, maybe? Could it be that times you said it correctly and you felt good about it? Could it be that actually when you look at the pro side, only one person corrected you? Is it really always and this helps. But anyway, <laughs> uh, grouping the two vocab questions together, my notes are, number one, remember that not every English phrase or word will translate literally into another language. For example, I know in English can have different translations in German and French and Welsh, depending on whether you know something or someone so if you looked up a word and you get a correction for a better meaning, just take it and celebrate that it just made you better at your target language. You didn't look anywhere near as stupid as you think you did. And the embarrassment is a thing that you need to develop a threshold for when you're learning any kind of foreign language. Because from my experience, personally speaking, a foreign language involves looking a bit like an idiot every now and then. But everybody's happy. Number two, mixing up words is normal. Yes, it is a cause for embarrassment, but it's not a sign that you're a bad learner. Using the correct words lots of times, like overusing them, will help. You may not want to do this in conversation. You may want to just do it to yourself. So you'll try and work them into every possible sentence several times. And ideally, you'll want to tell several people about them too. So you want to repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, when you go to go to bed with your, not go to bed with your girlfriend, but you know, it's like if you wake up and you're making a coffee for your girlfriend, for example, and you say, do you know, the words for cheap and easy in my target language, they're actually, they sound very similar. I keep mixing them up, but they're actually this and this, this and this. And you say them a few times, right? A few times so that they really stick in your mind. 
again, you may not want to do this with an actual girlfriend. <laughs> or maybe they're a nerd. Who knows? Okay. So these are my two word tips. Number three. It can be parts of speech. So Simon says, holding on to the... This is, I'd love this sentence. So prep yourself, listener, for this wonderful sentence. Holding on to the noun with its number and gender, the verb with its tense, number, gender and reflexiveness, plus the agreement of pronouns, adjectives and adverbs, in the context of whether it's a positive statement, a negative sentence, a question or an imperative, means my mind is doing cartwheels. And then I fall down on word order. Word order is where I fall down in getting the parts of the speech lined up each time. <sighs> Simon, the, the mere fact that you know all these different aspects and rules and moods and what it's, that alone is amazing. And I congratulate you. I want to say this is tricky. You didn't mention which language is your target language. I'm going to talk to you as if you're learning German because I know our language does have a lot of that stuff you mentioned. So my tip would be you must decide which parts of the speech you want to get right at the cost of some others. This is this is a a transitional step. You know, in order to fix any in order to fix everything, you got to fix one thing first, then the next one. You already said it yourself. Yes, that means simplifying your speech and it means making errors. But you're a language learner. This is what you do. Trusting the process and making small goals is extremely important here. And it is not required or possible to get everything right at full speed 100% of the time. Again, that's why you're a learner. So focus on the things that matter to you. If you want social, conversational language skills, focus on listening and understanding. If you want professional or perhaps academic language skills, fix, for example, fix the word order. Right? Fix the word order. Make sure you get the word order right every single time in a specific type of sentence. Just fix it in a positive statement. And then you can always work out the questions. Until then, maybe just say a positive and then go, yeah, at the end <laughs> and see if that works. It is difficult. Focus also on hearing how native speakers do it so that you get a real sense of natural speech and think about the context that you're learning for because it really matters. Number four, I think we're at four. Simon's problem, next problem, is it pronunciation. It says, I say a word to a native speaker. They correct me. I say it again the way that they said it. They still correct me. I try to be more deliberate and replicate it just the way I'm hearing. And they correct me again. The issue here, Simon, could be that your hearing and your reproduction of the sound are having a problem. You can't seem to hear the sound that your speaking partner is actually making. So go back to the absolute basics for this one and focus on pronunciation. You have to hear a sound before you can reproduce it. So it, your, your ear has to know the difference. So that's important. Here are some tips on how to pronounce better. Number one, learn each letter of the alphabet and consider how they are used as well. For example, in my German pronunciation course, I focused on several aspects, starting with the alphabet, moving on to challenging sounds and letter combinations, and then finally the sort of fine-tuning polish, like word stress and endings. If you want to learn another language like this, a similar structure may work really well. Tip two, focus on what exactly you are getting wrong. 
and take that word apart to each sound or tone, should it be an Asian language, or I don't know, I think Swedish has tones, people say that. You'll want to reproduce them as closely as possible and make sure you can hear the differences. Many learners here find minimal pair exercises helpful. So minimal pairs in English would be something like but, boat, and, and but <laughs> or something. So minimal pairs in your target language. If you search online for that, you might be you might get lucky. And the final one is beyond pronunciation, the native speakers usually don't correct me that much either. So so Simon is, is saying this like like it's a problem. Might not be a problem. They get what I mean. And even though I know what I said wasn't correct, there really isn't a way to address the ongoing challenges I experience in the language. And I feel like I'm moving, I just can't feel like I'm move, moving beyond a, a basic level, a pigeon level, he said here. So Simon, a pigeon is most certainly not where you are. You've learned way too much grammar for that and pigeons are not, are not that. If you find the lack of corrections concerning, you may find it extremely helpful, extremely helpful to write more and get your writing corrected. First isolated sentence, perhaps diary entries, and then deeper, perhaps, discussions of a certain text, perhaps con a lot of connected things, and really making a case for or against different arguments. This de depends entirely on what level you're at. So I, I will not go into giving you specific advice here. If you want to, if like all you listeners, if you want to coach with me, maybe I, can, I, I will go into specific detail at that point where I really know you. But on the podcast here, I'm just going to say writing, 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 because in a conversation, it's not the native speaker's goal to correct you on everything. Um, and if they did and they do and you do really make mistakes, then you'll just you, we can quickly become overcorrection like we discussed on a previous podcast. So if you really feel that you've got an ongoing challenge and you want your grammar and your vocab really picking apart and you really want to dive in and know exactly am I getting this right or wrong then writing is is wonderful because you just got no place to hide this is a long one to sum up this is a long one to sum up listeners so where do I where do I come down on this essentially I want to leave you with what I think is the most important advice coming out of all these different tips it's a jam-packed show that we had like I said we went through a lot you want to reduce frustration but you also want to embrace it simon i would absolutely love if you email me again and you know let me know if if this helped and you guys listeners let me know as well if this helped you you know where you are at in your language learning and if you also feel like that something like vocabulary issues or parts of the speech putting them putting all the different things together or the pronunciation has absolutely knocked you for six in your confidence It's happened to a lot of... It's happened to me regularly. Last week, this week, next week. <laughs> it's going to happen again. So that tolerance for frustration and embarrassment in language learning will, will go with you a long, long way. Thank you so much for sending in your email. If you are listening and you also want to send your email and get some advice, please do send me a question to kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And if you found today's discussion helpful and you have not reviewed the show yet, then please hop over to Apple Podcasts app or iTunes and throw some stars our way. Five stars, nothing less will be accepted. 
<laughs> if you enjoy the Fluent Show, please tell other people about us and go to fluent.show slash 102 to read the show notes and get some links and relevant articles to today's topic, mental blocks, frustration, and about seven different specific issues that life throws at you when you're learning a language. You can find me on Twitter at The Fluent Show and you can find me at fluentlanguage.co.uk where there's a blog and information about my upcoming German retreat. So if you're a German learner, please come to Germany with me. It's one of the best learning environments I have ever, ever created, seen in action and seen the results of. That's it for today's Fluent Show. I wish you guys a wonderful week. Goodbye.